You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by Win, women in innovation. In each episode, inspiring female innovators share stories of succeeding against the odds in a male-driven industry. Their experiences come from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, brand strategy consultant and global marketing lead at Win. As we wrap up a seemingly never-ending year, I can't help but think about one of the very first episodes of the Win-Win podcast with Jenny Danzi, who is on the innovation team at PepsiCo. Her immaculate discussion about the opportunities and challenges in the beverage industry along with what it takes to innovate within a massive company rings especially true today, as this episode is brought to you in partnership with Driftwell. Driftwell is a new enhanced water beverage with magnesium and L-theanine to help you relax and unwind at the end of the day. It is a product designed with evening relaxation in mind, and boy, do we all need it after the year that we have had. Today's incredible woman in innovation is Stephanie Murdoch, marketing manager at PepsiCo Foods Canada. Stephanie is actually the mastermind behind the Driftwell concept and worked with PepsiCo and its team to launch this brand and product to market. Another really special moment about this episode is the fact that we're featuring our first male speaker, Ryan Buser. Driftwell stemmed from the diversity of thought with which it was created, incorporating different stakeholders and people with different backgrounds and genders to create a product for all, in the same way that Wynn aims to create a future for all. The thing about innovation is that sometimes we do not see its outcome until many years later, or at all. The Driftwell team takes us through what it's like to conceive and launch an actual product from start to finish and is a true masterclass in innovation. If you're curious to learn more, go to drinkdriftwell.com, and it is also currently available at walmart.com and on Amazon. Without further ado, here's today's win-win. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. Today, I am excited to bring you a very special edition of the Win-Win Podcast that features an incredible woman in innovation, Stephanie Murdoch, but also features an incredible man in innovation who worked alongside her, Ryan, and whose last name I'll let him say himself. (laughs) Stephanie and Ryan are the core team behind Driftwell, a new enhanced water beverage with magnesium and L-theanine to help you relax and unwind at the end of the day. So as we get started, I would love to ask you both to share your role and favorite non-alcoholic and alcoholic beverage. Perfect. Well, I'll go first. Uh, Stephanie Murdoch. I am a marketing manager at PepsiCo and I currently am on our PepsiCo Foods North America business. And I have been a pleasured part of this Driftwell Sprint for the last few months as well. My favorite beverage uh, has to be bubbly. It's honestly something that I can drink any time of the day, and it has amazing flavors. And the great news about bubbly is it actually acts as the best mixer for a cocktail as well. So um, a little vodka soda with a spritz of the blackberry bubbly is where it's at for me. Amazing. And you, Ryan? Yeah, uh, Ryan Buser. I work on the uh, PepsiCo Beverages North America team as a senior marketer manager for new platforms. For my favorite beverage, loving kombucha. I'm a big Kavita fan. I wish I could say that I add it to a lot of <laughs> other cocktails, but I'm, I'm more of a straight up kombucha person. 
As we talk about kombucha, that's definitely disrupted the beverage industry too. But, you know, oftentimes we think about innovation as something tied to technology or science or the next big app. But today we are able to see what a real impact it makes in the uh, in the beverage space. So, Steph, how did you get interested in the beverage space? Yeah, so I've actually been working in the beverage space for about 10 years now, starting my career agency side on beer and alcohol and then joining PepsiCo about eight years ago. For me, I am absolutely in love with the beverage space because it's so connected into everyone's everyday life. Everybody consumes beverages throughout the day, whether it's just water or it's a, it's a serving an actual desire or demand or a craving throughout the day. So that's why the space is so great to lean into because you can offer consumers so many different things. And that's kind of how I got into the idea of, you know, really leaning into an enhanced drink as well within the relaxation space. And we'll hear all about that. But I think something you mentioned, we all ingest drinks at any time of the day. So I'm sure everyone you work with and don't work with has an opinion on beverages, whether they drink them how much or how little. Uh, Ryan, how about you? How did you get interested in the beverage space? I come from the world of consumer insights. And so I've been doing product optimization for, I think, about five years. And then, like Steph, got into, uh, I joined PepsiCo. And I'm just, I've always been a fan of beverages. I think it's a fun category to to work in. And I just think that there's so many different types, like the the world is your oyster in terms of what you get into. And Steph, you're really on the founding team and the idea behind Driftwall, you know, an enhanced drink to promote relaxation specifically. Let's talk about the next big idea company context at Pepsi. How did you get into that and how did you win the contest? Yeah, absolutely. So the next big idea is a PepsiCo-wide global initiative. It was launched by our PepsiCo chairman and CEO, Ramon LaGuardia. And it's really about inspiring and championing everyone to be an innovator and tap into their creativity. So whether you're on the beverages or the food side, you're thinking about go-to-market or internal operations, we can all innovate. And for us, we were really inspired by this space specifically within enhanced beverages around the fact that in North America in particular, everybody is so on the go all day long, thriving to stay awake, to stay fueled and energized. And yet the most important part of our day, disconnecting and relaxation, relaxation so we can take on the next day is often dismissed. And that's really what inspired us to think about with this next big idea contest, how do we put something together that could play in that white space opportunity and give back to the consumer and really ritualize the unwind occasion? So that was the contest and and the crux of the idea. And really, it springboarded from there. We decided to get a team together. We put the pitch together. And then uh, everybody in the organization is given a virtual dollar currency that they can actually invest in your idea over a set form of weeks until until you get to the top. And then you're selected to actually pitch to an executive team. Wow. And I think it's so amazing to see that such a large corporation is able to engage so many different employees in this one project that it then becomes probably so exciting to see who will ultimately win the next big idea. And it so happens that this time it was used. So it really just started as a a cubicle desk chat where we were bouncing off on ideas on how could we connect with consumers in a space that we're currently not playing. And what we recognized was there was this really un 
untapped opportunity for us at PepsiCo to help consumers disconnect and unwind at the end of the day. And because of that, that really is what got me even more passionate about the space and learning a ton more about relaxation and wellness from there. And you mentioned this cubicle moment, which I'm sure so many of us are craving at this point as we sit at home. But um, something that I was wondering about is once you had the initial idea and started talking about it in, in I guess, this cubicle format, I'm sure you you thought about all the different constraints that may happen, whether it's you know from the nutrition side or the regulation side, whatever it may be. How did you go about tackling all those questions? That's a great question. And I should mention, we sat next to a nutrition scientist. So he's actually the one who chimed in and was like, as you're talking about this, here are the things you cannot and can do. And that was really the foundation to starting the research. And the three of us and then a fourth colleague came on to to really build through it. But the great thing about the next big idea is it champions you with resources around the globe. So as soon as people know you're out there and exploring the idea, you can tap a lot of people on the shoulder. It links you with a lot of people who can actually contribute to your idea. And we worked with a ton of cross functions just to build the pitch. And then ultimately when selected to continue to refine the idea. So working with everybody from regulatory to legal to supply chain and go to market and really thinking about, could this actually be a viable idea in order for us to launch it? A lot of times companies come up with these amazing initiatives and then they kind of get everybody excited and then you never hear of them again because they got lost somewhere in the paperwork of bureaucracy. But out of the next big idea, this product actually came to life. What happens once you win the competition and Ryan steps in? Yeah. So, you know, the organization was really great at championing once we had defined and presented to them our reason to believe and they were bought in. The ability to actually put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, and we were all so passionate about doing it that they said, how can we get this done? And that's where Ryan and Jenny's team with the new innovation platforms really stepped in to say, we can bring this to life and let's collaborate together through a sprint to actually champion this. And so it really took some key executive bodies coming together to say, hey, we believe in you. We believe what you've presented. Now let's actually think about how we can go and do this. And Ryan, switching gears a little bit, Steph mentioned the buy-in. What what do you think contributed to this exact idea being bought in at the point that you stepped into? I think in innovation, there's been this real need, particularly for larger companies to start reacting to new ideas and white spaces in much more fast and nimble ways. I think that there was this immediate pull that we saw at our own company of people investing this kind of like fake competition currency. So we know that there's there's a much broader interest in this at the company itself. And then we're also seeing very similar signals out in the market as well. So there's definitely kind of that business rationale. And then I think, as I mentioned before, there's there's this need to start reacting much faster and being more nimble and, and building new pathways. So if it's not, even if it wasn't this idea, we've got to start somewhere about building these new ways of working and, and bringing it to market. And Ryan, you said you come from the world of insights. Of course, you're seeing that the insights, these people are virtually buying in, but that's within the company. How do you pressure test something like that outside of the company when you're still in stealth mode? 
<laughs> yeah, um, there's there's definitely a couple tools that we used. I mean, whenever you're testing new ideas and innovation, you always start by going and just listening to people. And so we shopped this idea around. We used different kind of like because at that time we were starting to enter pandemic mode. Um, so we start to just have video conferences with groups or individuals. We learn about their end of day practices, what types of things they would love to see if this space were to come to life. Um, and we expose them to the idea in of itself. That offered us a real opportunity to just take those voices and bake them in and, and, and refine this this product on an ongoing basis, um, but do it really quickly as well. And then what was the role and the capacity in which you were brought onto the idea? And how has the idea changed since Steph first came to you with it? Great question. So the when when the idea came to us, it was called Restful Beverages. Um, and it was just, it was in its infancy stage. And I think like the rationale behind it was rock solid. But there's a lot that goes into building a brand um, and actually getting this to market required a lot of different steps. And so it's it's the tactical things about securing the type of, type of packaging, the design, the trademark, the actual product itself. So if you want to have a functional beverage, you need to do the work that allows you to make a functional claim. And so by doing that work, it starts to show you what you can do and what you can't do. And the idea starts to pivot from there. So it's a very different looking beverage from where we actually started. But the idea is still, I would say, the same idea um, at the end of the day. Just a different just a different package and product. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm so excited to hear about the process. But I think as a product person myself, I get really excited by all the different stages in the product. But like you said, you ultimately hear about some of the the limits uh, that come with the product development process. So how do you believe you stayed innovative while maneuvering the constraints of what was presented to you? Part of, part of the benefit of having Steph in particular dock into our team is we had her voice at every step of, of the process. And so at no point were we kind of losing focus or losing the core of the idea um, because we were able to, or we were kind of like blessed to have her voice as we continued to, to iterate. Yeah. And then I think th there are some decisions that have to be made as you start to develop products um, and as you start to develop the brand voice. But I think relaxation is one where there is not a lot of pre-built infrastructure around. I don't think as a society, we've put too much of a point of view on it yet. And so it really allowed us a lot of liberty to go out there and, and craft something new for the market. Steph, uh, we keep talking about how you you were coming in and out. Were you doing your day job on top of doing this product? Yes, I was doing my day job on top of the, the sprint, but candidly was so passionate about being part of this team and figuring out how to actually bring this to life, that it was something, you know, it was my baby in infancy and I couldn't necessarily just walk away from it either. So I think when you're, when you're passionate about something, you find the time to balance in and um, support and lean into the things that you really love to do. And so I, I, I was doing that. Yes. And then the other piece of this is the relaxation piece, right? Like everybody defines relaxation in such a different way. I really think about it as the this, this skincare routine, right? I hear of my friends having 19 steps in their skincare routine. I tend to have like 
zero to one. Um, how did you go about pleasing all these different demographics with such a large scale product launch? Yeah, I think for us, it's really, it started first with just listening to the consumer. And so understanding and learning that everybody wants relaxation, but their ideas of relaxation and their rituals are quite different. Um, it allowed us to at least create a foundation for what we really wanted to stand for and ultimately be part of the conversation. So while we're a functional beverage, it's so much more than just providing a product to them. It's about creating a dialogue and being part of the routine. And so instead of taking the Band-Aid approach that X product is going to solve Y, we said this is part of a bigger formula and routine. And by enabling that, I think it really allows us to to fit into different consumers' lives in different ways um, as part of that nighttime ritual. But again, it really went down to just social listening, making sure we're having the right conversations with consumers. And Ryan, I'm sure design plays a major part in actually enabling that conversation to happen. So you get this awesome idea. How do you go about designing it? In this particular case, we had our PepsiCo design team come on. And so we had two just incredible design visionaries, uh, Lauren Courier and, and Ange Luke, basically take this on. And they, ha they had been a part of the process since the get-go. And so they listened to the interviews. I mean, we were asking everything from how people want to feel when they're having this beverage to like, what colors do you associate with relaxation? And so they got kind of this great breadth of knowledge and then just did an incredible job of synthesizing it. And it wasn't just like this magical wand was waved and all of a sudden we had the final product. It was a highly iterative, but also kind of like learning when to test and, and fail some ideas really quickly, doing a lot of work that kind of like ends up getting shunted to the side in your in your pursuit of that one final vision is, is tough. But I mean, the fruits of our labors really came through, um, or rather the fruits of their labors came through when we landed on this gorgeous final design. And, and Steph, Steph ran this amazing live testing for that design uh, as well. So that definitely helped us kind of refine as we went. Yeah. And so that testing, it was taking ideas that they had built and they'd ultimately gotten down to three great visual ideas that we wanted to put in front of consumers. And so we worked with an external agency grain, grain group to do some A-B testing. We put that, that imagery on social digital platforms and leveraging different demographics. So mass or niche demographics along the way, we were able to target different consumers with different designs and ultimately measure how they engaged with and interacted with the brand and the design. We also had the opportunity through that though to social listen again and hear consumers verbatims about what they liked about the product, maybe what confused them, and then go back when we were able to pick a design and narrow in with further features and benefits that we wanted to refine on the ultimate design. So that really allowed us to say, hey, this is the area or territory we want to play in and how do we continue to iterate from there? And I really love that in this process, you had like multiple tracks happening simultaneously to get you to the point of innovation. Did you experience that in any other ways of getting this product to launch? Absolutely. So we were really charged with 
getting this new innovation out the door in kind of like the fastest time frame that has ever been set by our company. <laughs> and, and in a normal process, I would say you work meticulously through the insights phase and then you get into the product creation phase and then you go through the branding and the design and it kind of comes more or less like one after another. In this case, we ended up almost kicking off every work stream simultaneously. And even within something like branding, um, we actually applied for, we, we triple pathed our branding so that if for whatever reason something happened to one or even two of the brand names that we were applying trademarks for, that we would save ourselves a four month setback thousands of dollars in printing supplies. And so you really had to kind of turn the project upside down, start with the end goal and say, what do we need to get to this? And then kick off all of that work at the same time. So it was definitely, <laughs> it was definitely new ways of working all around. And you mentioned this product life cycle and how, how quick of a turnaround it was. How quick was the turnaround from start to finish? Yeah, so so from ideation charter to in market, it was about just over nine months. That's incredible. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's again, thinking about tech and innovation and tech, something that's not even tangible sometimes takes like five years. So I think it's incredible to see that something goes from an idea in Steph's head as she's trying to find ways to relax to us actually being able to purchase the product on Amazon and walmart.com. It came out earlier this month. So Steph, when you were considering this product, of course, you, you as a marketer, you think about the channels of distribution. Uh, this is a drink and it is getting currently distributed online. Talk to me about your thoughts around that. Yeah, absolutely. So at PepsiCo, there is always going to be a desire to go as fast and big as possible. And that's that's incredibly important. We do that really well and we make and move and sell products in a really great way. For us, we wanted to make the right approach to laying the foundation uh, for this product. And when we really researched with our consumers, what we discovered is a lot of them are starting at the internet level, whether they're leveraging technology to unwind at the end of the night, or they're actually Google searching, how do I relax? How do I just disconnect? They're searching for products and solutions. And so being at the point of, we'll call it relaxation and where they're searching was incredibly important for us to think through. And that's what drove the narrative behind making sure we were getting into that e-com space very quickly with retail, obviously, as, as a secondary plan that we, we need to go fast with um, in the next few months as well. How did you ultimately land on Driftwell? Driftwell was actually one of the very early on favorites. Um, we took a, a really interesting approach of kind of democratizing the branding for this. And so we we went out to consumers. We said, hey, like, what are some, some great names that come to mind? And then we actually brought it in-house. Maybe it's that we just love internal competitions at PepsiCo, but <laughs> we had this great crowdsource approach. And I think we came up with like 350 names for this beverage. Um, and then we went through rounds of voting. We had design take a look at them and see if there were any inspirations there. 
So yeah, Driftwell was was in kind of like the top 10 that came out of that. And then we went through, we did some A-B testing that looked at not only kind of like your, like which name is better than the other, but it also measured stickiness and like how how well this brand stuck in people's minds after they read it with with recall. And so after all of that, Driftwell bubbled to the top. So that's kind of, it was a little bit of art and science there. And then thinking about PepsiCo and its larger portfolio, what were some of those considerations in developing the white space, the fact that this is PepsiCo's first functional drink? What does that mean for the bigger portfolio and company? I mean, white white spaces are generally what I would consider to be unmet consumer needs. And and I think relaxation as a need is something that a lot of our brands are looking at right now. And it's definitely something that we feel strongly belongs in a bunch of different places. But I think where we are as a society, we really need a brand that speaks directly to this need. And it's just really singular in its purpose that not only is this beverage functional and helps promote relaxation, but it also helps promote a conversation around relaxation in society. I think that's kind of like the real benefit to these white space brands is you start to kind of like lead the dialogue to some extent. Um, and help to carve out more than just a product, but really a space for people to find this for themselves. And I think what an incredible year in the sense of the context of to launch it. I in no way would wish another pandemic on anyone, <laughs> but you know, stress is, has been a, such a commonly talked about thing. People aren't sleeping because of it. 55% of Americans experience high stress throughout the day. 45% of Americans reported lying awake at night because of stress. So it's ultimately not just a conversation about relaxing, but a conversation about stress and what it means in every consumer life. There are blackberry and lavender flavors. What role does that play in kind of alleviating the stress and uh, helping promote relaxation? I think every little bit counts. And I think we've been very choiceful about this, this brand and about this product, about like every touch point coming back to that idea of relaxation. I want to make a plug that not all stress is bad stress in your life. Um, so I think that there's been a lot of negative stress that has dominated probably media coverage. Um, but there's like everyday stress that helps drive you to succeed in your job, to take care of kids, to take care of parents. And so I think what this helps us do is not only succeed in kind of the things that we want to do, but refine ourselves so that we can center and refocus on what we need to be doing in our lives. So I think getting back to your question about flavor, though, like it's all about finding those touch points of stress and figuring out what about this product can help alleviate that. Yeah, but I, I do really love the conversation that you raise about stress and good stress and bad stress. I think when you consider Driftwell and the role that it plays, it's not just at one specific point for one specific reason, but that's where the innovation is, right? It it evolves as you evolve your day, your lifestyle, and the things that are important to you. As you and the team can consider this, and Steph, as you think about your initial uh, idea and where it started, where do you really see this going? Where do you see the opportunity space to be 
Yeah, I think the horizon is great in this space because as Ryan talked about, it's not confined to one solo feeling or one type of behavior. Um, it allows us then to carry on the conversation and incubate the right way. And I, I do think that the runway is great for us to not only drive traction behind the product that we have now, but to think about where we want to go tomorrow as well. And then looking at the the downside of that, I guess, as you were developing this, I'm sure you experienced many failures. What are some insights that you learned about those failures and, and what are you looking to take forward with you in this project and in other projects? Personally, I think that one of the things that I learned out of this process is about how to bring the organization along. No one can succeed in a silo. And this project took an absolute village of every single day, people coming in with the passion that Steph originally brought to our team um, and just making this come to life every day. And so I think one of the things that we had to be really careful of is there are meetings with stakeholders and there's meetings with board members and executive committees that you have to get that consistent buy-in and you cannot go into those and surprise people. It's about bringing people along on the journey and so that like everybody's rowing the boat in the same direction. And that was kind of something that we ran up against very quickly. And then it was like, all right, it's all about over-communication um, and just bringing people along on this journey with us. And Steph? I learned a lot about being able to think fast and pivot. I mean, this is a sprint ultimately. And Ryan said, you know, nine months to bring this to life, being able to assess risk really quickly and sometimes insert multiple scenarios and options that we could walk, work through in parallel path was really important. And so typically when we have a ton of time and we're commercializing something over a two-year window, you've got time to kind of fail slowly. Here we had to fail fast and contingency plan along the way. And so learning to have, you know, something in your back pocket that could be another way forward was an incredibly important milestone in learning for me. I think it's very exciting that there is an infused innovation just with this contest existing. And then you see that this product comes to life. How do you think that people who are just really trying to innovate within their own organizations are able to take maybe some of the lessons that you have shared today and infuse them in their day-to-day -day innovation? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say um, don't overthink it. Like This was a definitely a merriment of both art and science. There's going to be times along the way that you got to follow a little bit of the gut and take risks. Um, but there's also incredible learnings around collaboration, bringing others along, voicing your opinion fearlessly and pivoting along the way that I think others can definitely take. And yet don't overcomplicate it. That would be my, my overall lesson is art and science come together because the one is kind of beautiful, the other is very scientific. But when we allow them to come together, it's not as complicated as if they're pulled apart. And just think through where you want to go, dream big. Yeah, um, I could not agree more. I think my takeaway is everyone should always be trying to push their own boundaries and learn in their roles. I think as soon as you stop 
growing as an individual or as a professional, you're you're stagnating and you're shrinking. Um, so look for new ways of working. Look for even in the most concrete ways of working that you know of. Are there places to improve? Are there like <laughs> minutes that you can cut off certain processes? Um, because it, I mean, at the end of the day, it all adds up. Um, yeah. So I would say kind of just continually like reassess the situation. Um, if you do something great, awesome. Now, how do we do it even better? Right. And, and continue to repeat those successes. I'm sure one of the most rewarding parts of this process is that nine months or six to nine months later, you're able to see a real product in your hand. So what was the first time that you really got the finished product in your hand? And, and what was that like? I think what people won't be able to see on this podcast is Steph and I grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> um, it's been a really surreal feeling to have something out there. It, it's just funny because you come to to work every day or you, you commute from your bedroom to your to another room in your house. To your laptop. Yeah, to your laptop. It just doesn't feel real. And then all of a sudden it's, it's online. People are buying it. Like people will be, um, taking screenshots of paid social and your website and signing it to you and being like, this is so cool. Um, so it's just, it's been a, a really awesome experience overall. I will say though, more than the product, the team has been fantastic. And just, I feel honored to have been tapped to help bring Steph's idea from start to the finish line. And before we get to hear about how Steph experienced the product in real life, Ryan, talk to me a little bit more about the makeup of the team. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and I know this is kind of in line with the theme of this podcast, but I have been in a really awesome position of actually being the only man on the team. Um, and so I've, I've been around Steph, my manager, Jenny Danzi, my VP, Emily Silver, and these amazing women in design who have been just showing me and inspiring me every day to just come to work with this undying passion to just make this a success. And so, um, yeah, I, I think particularly around the tension of stress and relaxation, if you don't have women's voices in that conversation, you're not going to speak to the world in any meaningful way. So I think that's been super, super important for this project in particular. Yeah. And Steph, over to you with your feelings about that and then the product in general. Yeah. I mean, this is a super humbling experience overall. And just to see something come from paper or whiteboard idea all the way to a physical liquid beverage that you can consume is not only humbling, but it's just a proud moment to be part of such an amazing organization and a team to be able to hold and taste and, and actually uh, visualize a product is just incredibly, incredibly humbling. And Ryan, you said such thoughtful words. I believe diversity is what got us through the finish line. We had a diversity of thought um, we had a ton of different representation from people at the table, both male and female, and who all had such great and different ideas that really helped us to succeed. And so no matter what, I think making sure your teams are stacked with diversity and thought leadership is, is always an incredibly important table stakes now at this point um, in order to, to be successful in innovation. 
And to wrap up on that beautiful note, um, I'd love to share with you all that you can uh, check out Driftwell and what the team is doing on drinkdriftwell.com. The product is available at Amazon and Walmart.com and will soon be available at select retailers. So thank you team for coming to talk about your innovation experience. And I wish you all the best with this launch. Thank Thank you. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.